Okay, we're going to finish up our study of Jeremiah and Lamentations today, going through the last chapter of Jeremiah, uh, which is chapter 52, and then working our way through Lamentations. And this is going to be just a little bit different. We're still going to do read through uh, the majority of what we're looking at, but on Jeremiah chapter 52, we're going to do a summary of the summary chapter. So uh, we get all the way to 51, where, as Sherry pointed out last week, you've got sort of the bookends where we kind of go back to the beginning, and it summarizes, it, it ends as it began, where Jeremiah's coming with the words um, given by God to, uh, is this Babylon that we're at in 51? Yeah. Um, and the judgment rendered there. And then we pick up in 52, um, where, where it's like we're winding back and we're starting up with Zedekiah in his 21st year, or excuse me, when he was 21 years old, becoming king, um, and then walking through um, his relation with Babylon. Um, and then in verse 7, where it says the city wall was broken through and all the men of war went out of the city at night, uh, the gate. And even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around and they went out by the plain. So we've got where the Chaldeans are, or Babylonians, Chaldeans, are coming in um, and taking over. Um, there was one other, let's see, then the king of Babylon killed Zedekiah before his eyes or sorry, the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed the princes of Judah and Riblah. Um, he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and then he's taken to Babylon, fulfilling the prophecies there. Um, and so we kind of get the, the end picture of Judah, Babylon taking over, and the people in, in the chapter ending, and I know I'm skipping around a lot, but the mm -hmm. chapter ending... Um, with it, it kind of a weird thing to me with Jehoiakim Ken, um, being taken out of prison and given a daily portion at the king's table. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, to me, just a recap of timeline-wise what was going on mm -hmm. during the book of, of Jeremiah when these things were written, in other words. So mm -hmm. uh, Sherry, anything else you want to pull out for there before we hop over to Lamentations? Okay. Um, the... Um... The main things I wanted to mention were that um, this is um, almost, the, the first part of it is almost word for word the, the end of 2 Kings. Mm -hmm. And um, I know there's, there's, a, um, there's controversy as to who actually wrote chapter 52. Most people don't think it was Jeremiah. Right. Um, it's possible that, it, it, of course, you know, God wrote it all, so he can use the same words. Um, but, it, so, there's speculation that maybe the person who wrote Second King, or, well, First and Second Kings is actually one book, but the person who wrote Kings may have also written chapter 52 of Jeremiah, mm -hmm. um, because it's, like, almost word for word. Um, uh the, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that at the end, um, so the th reason that I think that Jehoiakim is mentioned at the end is a similar reason to why uh, Chronicles ends 
on a more positive note um, because, okay, there's hope because Cyrus is going to let them, you know, lets the people go. Um, similarly, uh, so Jehoiakim, uh, also Jeconiah, same guy, um, was the rightful king because he was a son of Josiah. Zedekiah was a brother of Josiah. So, um, and Jehoiakim is also the ancestor of Zerubbabel. Um, so Zerubbabel is the rightful king. Um, and so I think there's just, it's just a note of hope that, okay, well, the rightful king wasn't killed. Uh, there's also a side note. He was the only king that surrendered mm -hmm. to the Babylonians like he, like they were supposed to. They were all supposed to surrender. None of them did, but he did. Um, and he was kept and was not killed and was let out. And he was uh, allowed his, he, he wasn't released, but he was allowed um, out of prison and, um, and allowed to live and allowed to sire offspring. So, um, so that um, tells me that it's, it's important that it's important to God to note that the line of kings is still there. Mm -hmm. Even though it's hanging by a thread, mm -hmm. and there have been other times when it's been hanging by a thread. There's only one, you know, uh, when um, uh, Joash right. um, was saved. He was the only one that was saved, and so the kingship was hanging by a thread. But God said David would not lack a man to sit on the throne, and so... Jehoiakim's still the rightful king, and his son is going to be one of the ones that leads the, the return. So mm -hmm. I think that's probably the reason that that's mentioned at the end of Jeremiah, because it's, it's, such, a, it's such a downer book, mm -hmm. but then it has this little sort of light at the end of the tunnel at yeah. the very end. Well, and I'm, I appreciate you bringing all those out, because mm -hmm. it was the part that was confusing to me is Jehoiakim... I cannot remember anything mm -hmm. positive. Yeah, there. he was only king so for three why months. Would he, yeah, so why would he get this special privilege, whatever? Mm -hmm. But one, the surrender. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you reminding me of that. But then, even more, quote, more importantly, um, you know, the lineage mm -hmm. being something an important a note mm -hmm. to end on. Mm -hmm. So, Elizabeth, anything mm -hmm. else from fifty-two that you wanted to pull out? Um, not necessarily. Um, I did think just rehashing all the things that were in the temple was kind mm -hmm. of interesting because I don't think I tend to a lot I don't think a lot about the stuff that was in the temple like you know, obviously mm -hmm. it was a ton of money they put a lot it was a big investment mm -hmm. um, that they made to make God's house you know very elaborate very beautiful mm -hmm. very ornate mm -hmm. and that should have meant something to the people but mm -hmm. as the years went by and they abandoned God the temple also kind of just mm -hmm. became a waste and so when they take this stuff away it should have had a lot of significance and meaning mm -hmm. to the people. Mm -hmm. And as much as they claimed it did, they didn't really care about it anymore. Which yeah. is kind of, uh, from, I'm going to say this again, from a hist historical standpoint, it would have been super cool to see all that stuff, but it probably just got melted down and turned into something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to touch some more on that through Lamentations, mm -hmm. the, um, that is so striking um, mm -hmm. 
and I, 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 I'm so glad that Sherry has such a heart for Lamentations because um, as I read through it, I mean, for one, I feel like that you can't read through it without Kleenexes nearby. Mm-hmm. And two, it just, it, it is so, it, I mean, it, it, it's such a fitting name for the book to me. It is such a just sad book. Whereas Jeremiah, like you were saying, is such a downer. And yes, in many ways, but what a, a beautiful example. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't mean this in any dis- disrespect whatsoever, but it almost uh, getting through Jeremiah makes me go, Job who? And I don't mean that ugly. I just mm-hmm. mean, what I mean is he went through so much, not just because God said, here's a faithful person, lay it on him. But he said, here's a faithful person who will keep coming back and do this again and know he's going to get you know, thrown in the pit and, you know, all these different things that he knew it was not going to be positive and yet he was faithful. And that is just, oh, that is just inspiring to me. Um, you know, and like we were talking about before with evangelizing and just some of our goals in trying to share God's mm-hmm. message, Jeremiah is such a beautiful example of someone who in so many regards did that successfully, even though the people rejected it so okay all right well we'll hop into limitations we've got a lot to go through here um so i will take the first um first chapter and then we'll start rolling through okay can i say something before we start yeah go ahead okay so one of the reasons i like lamentations is that so i love diagramming sentences and this is and this is like the most amazing diagrammed poem of all time. I'm going to pause Sherry for just a second to say she brought along with her the literary structure of the Old Testament, which I feel like is where this is like, this speaks her love language. I don't know if y'all have heard of grammar nerd love language, but that's Sherry. Yes, Go ahead, yeah, Sherry. Yeah. So, so this total gram. well, only people who are grammar nerds like diagramming. So, <laughs> so, um, but so this is a, this is a, so when you read it, if you have the structure in mind, then you can more appreciate the sentiment because this is a, this is, and this is like structure within a structure within a structure. So like this is part of the reason I love geometry because, you know, you can like put a bunch of triangles together and makes one big triangle and you can make a bunch of medium sized triangles. It's just, there's structure within structure within structure. And so, and it's laid out in our Bibles really cool because it's five chapters. It's also five poems. And the verses in the poems coincide with the verses in our chapters instead of a lot of times where you have one thought bleeding over into the next chapter, unfortunate chapter break, that doesn't happen here because it's obvious. This is an acrostic poem, 22 verses in each poem, and the 22 verses represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like Psalm 119. Remember Psalm 119 is every verse is starts with the same, uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the second letter and so on down to the last. Um, also, Proverbs 31 is an acrostic poem. Not many people know that, but it is. And so this is an acrostic, this is three acrostic or five acrostic poems. And um, and the and the 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 language the, the the structure there's two different structures going on here there's there's 
um, the typical Hebrew lament um, type poem has a three plus two pattern. So instead of when you read a poem, normally there would be three verses and then three more verses or whatever, four and four or whatever. This is three verses and then two verses. Um, and it, so it has a rhythm to it. But the reason that they, that they structured their laments in this way is that, so the first three verses um, are like uh, the first half of a person's life, for instance, because normally you would be mourning a person or whatever. And then the last two verses would be going down the other direction. And there's only two because it's as if the person has been cut off um, before their natural end should have, should have come. Um, and so a lot of times it'll be a three plus two and, and, and it's lost in the English in a lot of the verses, but there are a few um, like um, chapter one, verse three, um, excuse me, not chapter one, verse three, chapter three, verse four, and chapter three, verse nine. And those, um, those say, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me. With bitterness and tribulation, he has made me dwell in the darkness like the dead of long ago. So there's two, or there's three, and then there's two. And, and so, uh, and in, and in uh, verse nine, where am I at? He has blocked my ways with, with blocks of stones. He has made my path crooked. Uh, and then it goes on in verse 10. He is, bear, he, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. So, um, so it's like it's cut off. Uh, and, and sometimes even the, the last verse is sort of disorganized as if it's kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way that the whole book is. It's got three poems, and then the last two poems are way shorter. Mm -hmm. Like you've got 60, three 66 verse poems, mm -hmm. and then you've got a 44 verse poem, which is shorter. Mm -hmm. And then on the fifth chapter, you have a 22 verse poem. Mm -hmm. And it's not an acrostic. Right. It, they all start with the same with the Hebrew letter, but it, they're not in order. So it's like disorganized and it's falling apart. And so, and then within all that, you have this chiastic structure like we talked about before: A B C D C B A. This is A B C D E F G F E D C B A. So this is thirteen sections that. So two, uh, so six, and six, and then the middle one is the is the is the thing. The middle one is the pinnacle. It's right. the climax, and that's chapter three, verses twenty-two, mm -hmm. or tw twenty-one through thirty-two, or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's the message of hope. So I've always thought, wow, that's my favorite Bible passage, mm -hmm. and it's thrown right in the middle here of all this lament. Well, no, it's not thrown right in the middle there. It's like that is intentionally put there that, that the, right. because that's the main point of the entire book mm -hmm. is right there. So anyway, um, 
and, 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 and I also like it because all the units are like these many verses, these many verses, these many verses. It's not like mm, kind of hard to tell which, which section is which. It's, it's obvious. Yeah. And when you look at the content of them, they also match each other. A and A match, B and B match, C and C match mm -hmm. as far as their content and their language. So anyway. So I, let me be the one to make the dumb comment. Mm -hmm. um, I so appreciate all that background going into this because this was a very difficult, um, it, it was difficult for me to gather my thoughts on it uh, because I could not see all the structure. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you pulling that out and I think that will be helpful on this mm -hmm. read through. Um, but also the one more comment uh, is, this is so, it is so opposite of when we are seeing lamentations presently mm -hmm. and when people are pouring out their feelings and their emotions and whatever, there is no structure. There is no calm. There is, it is just chaotic. And mm -hmm. I do appreciate that God shows us in many different places, but I do think lamentations is the place of places to show that when you, when he is showing you here is the depths of despair, but here, but that's good because mm -hmm. then you get to come to me, you know, and that that and that that's the point of this. That you've yeah. got to get there so you can come to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, one of the older men sayings I've heard is, you know, and it sounds very cruel, but you know, and being concerned about someone and they're going off the rails or whatever, the comment being made, well, I hope they hit bottom quick. You know, but and what they all they mean by that is this type of thing, so that you can see your dependency on God and start building that relationship as He would have you. Um, I hope that makes sense. But um, anyway, that's what this makes me think of: is God says this is meant for your good to come back to Me, not that you're just broken forever. Okay, all right, uh, let's go through one. Thank you, Sherry, for getting us started that way, and I'll read through one to get us going how lonely sits the city that was full of people how like a widow she is uh, i'm sorry who was great among the nations the princes among the provinces has become a slave she weeps bitterly in the night her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers she has none to comfort her all her friends have dealt treacherously with her they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity. Under affliction and hard servitude, she dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The road roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy, and from the daughter of Zion all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her, the adversaries saw her and mocked her, mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. 
Therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions was bound. They were woven together by his hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those whom I am not able to withstand. The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an, called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water. Because the Comforter, who should restore my life, is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him became, become his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city while they sought food to restore their life. See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves at home. It is like death. They have heard that I sigh. But no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me. All, let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many and my heart is faint. All right, Elizabeth, get us started. Mm -hmm. All right, so I think this is Definitely really sad, but in a very beautiful way. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a few things that I can pick out that like are directly referring to some stuff we already mm -hmm. talked about. So in the beginning, when it talks about how the city of Jerusalem doesn't have her lovers or her friends to comfort her, I kind of understood those to mean, number one, the idolatry, and number two, the treaties and associations with other nations. So that's just a long-standing problem in Israel and Judah, number one is turning to other gods, and we even see that in Jeremiah. They're sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven and all that. But then we see even further back how they've had problems with making treaties with other nations and expecting them to like come save them. And we see that, I think it was in Israel where they made the agreement with like Egypt and then they got backstabbed or something like that. Not entirely sure, but 
it is just a very poetic way to describe the things that are happening and why they're happening. And then I thought it was interesting that that ties in even further on that uh, their lovers, or if we're using the same interpretation, the like false gods have deceived them, where they put their trust in this and now they're just, they're getting wiped out. They don't have the security they thought they would have. And then it also calls out the leadership so that the priests and elders have perished in the city um, when, number one, they should have been leading better from the get-go, but number two, they should have been the ones submitting to the Babylonians. Like, they wouldn't be dying in the streets of Jerusalem if they had just done what they were supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. So, Which, that kind of bleeds into my thoughts on this first chapter is, you know, especially the beginning, how lonely is the city that was once full of people. And um, and I'm not sure where the transition happens, but it seems like you've got Jeremiah, you know, mourning the state of affairs in Jerusalem where one, where he saw it as a, you know, prosperous and, you know, just very vibrant and, and healthy place to what it is now and it reminds me of what we're, we'll see in chapter 4 later um, where you've got those comparisons but transitions mm-hmm. from that to it seems like the city is talking you know uh, let's see um, they have heard that I sigh but no one comforts me all my enemies have heard my trouble um, bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me uh, let's see Okay, maybe it is him all the way through. There's a part in there I wasn't sure. It sounded to me like the city was the one that was mourning because they are, you know, their heart is faint and stuff. But I may have, I may have gotten confused on that. So that was one of my questions in chapter one, as far as structure goes. So sharing, you okay. clear me up on all that. All right. So um, chapter one, um, I think, is broken up into two units. The first unit, and one of the th- things you can see. When you, when you go through it this way, um, you can see a change in the next unit um, of thought because there's a change in the person. So another grammar nerd thing. So the first, the first 11 verses, 1 through 11, are in the third person feminine singular, mm-hmm. she. Right. So... We're going to use pronouns here, so sorry about everybody, but um, so for third person feminine singular, she, her, um, those are, it's not all, all that, but it, that's the predominant right. person that's talked about here. Mm-hmm. And I think there are like 60 grammatical instances of the third person singular mm-hmm. feminine. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half, Mm-hmm. Verses twelve through twenty-two. It's first person singular. Right. I. Right. Um, and I think there's like uh, there's over forty-five instances of a, the first person singular used. Mm-hmm. And so then, then in the next chapter, then you're going to see it change again mm-hmm. because you're going to see the difference between talking about she, talking about I, talking about uh, him, we, they mm-hmm. um, are are all the predominant. It's not. All that, but it's mm-hmm. predominantly um, 
so talk it, about in that person. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So when it goes to I, is that the city being personified? Yes. Okay. So um, in the first unit, it's the it's uh, third person feminine singular. In the second unit, and, and it's talking about uh, Zion or Jerusalem mm-hmm. or Judah as being a, a female personified as right. a female. The second one, it's it's Zion actually talking about herself and this and that's powerful uh to the audience because this is like you're seeing all this destruction through the eyes of the person who's going through it Mm -hmm. and so um uh and also you notice that the lord um there's a reason the lord has punished them because of their transgressions right and so you're going to see that uh, you're not going to see encouragement as far as like, um, uh, well, this is a good thing, but more like the Lord is vindicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Lord's punishing us for this because we, because we sinned. Right. So, um, uh, and then, and then if you, if you, it helped me to uh, go, go, go to chapter five, mm-hmm. starting with verse 18. Now the first, the last four verses of chapter five are, are set apart because they're a prayer. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you start at verse 18 and just read 18, 17, 16, 15, in that order, mm-hmm. it'll sound a lot like this. Mm-hmm. But it's it's shorter, so it's gonna be faster. Right. But it's, but it's short, but, so it's shorter, but, but it's, it's gonna be the thing. same the same ideas. Um, uh, the Lord punishing Zion. Um, uh, uh, you, you have these themes of um, the gates being desolate. Um, you have to uh, mention of Judah's um, days of old mm-hmm. um, when they used to be prosperous. You have a mentioning of the princes. You have a, a mention of famine, um, not having enough bread to eat. And you have a mention of them having sinned and that's why we're that's why we're here okay so that's what i see in that all right okay let's go ahead through two so we will be able to hopefully get through all the limitations is elizabeth you mind reading through two for me how the lord in his anger has set the daughter of zion under a cloud he has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of israel he has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes, in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied the daughter of Judah, multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. 
The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. And the Lord determined to lay to ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of a city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? What To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you to that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag your head, wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty and joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash your teeth, and they cry, We have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest and your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of their night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. Okay. Um, so, as Sherry was pointing out, we've got this continual, to me, it's the same type of poem that, you know, we see in chapter one, where um, it's continual mourning, where you've got um, uh, the description of how horrific things are in Jerusalem and what all God has done to Jerusalem. Um, but then again, as, as Sherry was pointing out, all justified uh, because of Jerusalem's behavior. Um, the elders... Um, sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves in sackcloths. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. 
everyone is in mourning um, in this poem. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, is such a bleak picture when you go on to mothers eating their children and um, again, you know, prophesied by Jeremiah, um, all these things that God said would come to pass um, uh, playing out uh, and being written about in this, this poem. Um, Sherry, you can go ahead with your thoughts there. Okay, so in chapter two, um, I think we have three units here. So unit three, verse one through eight, third person masculine sing singular, he talking about God or Yahweh. Um, there's over 50 instances of Yahweh in the third person singular masculine in this in this eight verse section. Mm -hmm. um, what Yahweh has done in his anger. Um, then um, unit four is third person plural, they. Uh, that's used about 13 times. Um, it, it, it all, there's also mention of her and he, her being Zion, he being Yahweh, but uh, they being the predominant um, uh, person that it's talking about. Um, it talks a lot about suffering survivors, uh, and remember that for later. And um, uh, uh, there are um, uh, there are mentions uh like you said of of uh women eating their children of uh, children starving um that's uh i believe it's in uh, verse 13 through 22 which is the third the third unit in this in this poem but the the unit number five in the entire book um Talking about their, uh, they cry. Who are they that cry to their mothers? Those they're the children, and they, they're they're fainting like a wounded person in the street. Like this is worse than, you know, somebody coming through and slaughtering everyone because they're just dying of hunger and they're not dying at home. They're just falling over in the street. Um, um, <clears throat> there is um, starting to be a shift. Uh, really subtle in the in the in unit five. So in the last um, th verse thirteen through twenty two, um, it's starting to talk about the author is starting to talk about what they should do about it. Um, instead of just mentioning all the destruction and all the bad things, um, it starts to mention okay, what is the proper response to this? Um, um, that there's mention of pouring out your heart, lifting up your hands in prayer, pleading for your children. Um, and then at the end, uh, there is a suggested prayer that you would say, you, uh, uh, no, uh, so, uh, let's see. Um, you summoned as if to a festival day, my terror on it my terrors on every side so he's talking this is someone who's talking to God so the people talking to God uh, <clears throat> and on the day of the anger of the Lord no one escaped or survived those whom I held and raised my enemy destroyed so this is a plea of the people to God okay God <laughs> we know you're doing this to us what can we do about it um, 
And so that's kind of a subtle shift to from just bad stuff happening to, okay, we know God is causing this. What can we do about it? Okay. Elizabeth? I guess the only other thing that I want to draw out real quick is that in verses uh, 15 and 16, mm-hmm. it's talking about how people are looking on to Jerusalem and they're, you know, shaking their head and hissing and all that and just really seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and it's this bad example. It's, mm-hmm. hey, listen mm-hmm. to the Lord or you're going to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Jeremiah had been telling them this whole time when they talk about, like, becoming a horror and a curse and an abomination and all that. And we see not only it comes to pass, but it comes to pass in the most brutal and honestly kind of graphic way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, speaking of graphic, let's go to chapter three. <laughs> all right, uh, Sherry, that's the longest one. So do you mind just going through 30 and then I'll pick it through 31 and get the rest of it? Okay. I'm the man who has set affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has wailed, excuse me, walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I can though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men, to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High, or or subvert a man in his cause. The Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks, and it comes to pass, when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? 
Why mm-hmm. should a living man complain, a man, for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have not covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause haunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit. They threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I am. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wronged. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies, and their whisperings against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am ta- I and their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them in your anger. Pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Okay, so just very briefly, um, it the only thing I want to pull out, because I know Sherry and Elizabeth, y'all have got a lot more here that would be good to hear, uh, is just, it is so impressive to me, and I, I hope that I'm on the right track with this, but it seems like even though, you know, you've got here at the beginning and the end of this poem where he's saying, you've broken me, you've besieged me, um, you know, you've set me in dark places, you know, all these things that God is being uh, blamed for, in a sense. To me, you know, Sherry, you were talking about that slight change in the last poem of recognition, you know, some sort of recognition of a response. And it, to me, seems like once, once you get someone to hone in on, okay, the Lord has done this, that, or the other to me. It's it's almost as, okay, now you've got a chance because now you're focusing and saying, well, God is the one who brought, okay, so if he did, then what's your responsibility to him? Um, and then, you know, of course we see in the middle that beautiful, those beautiful set of verses that, well, this is the appropriate response mm-hmm. to the Lord's chastening. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, uh, uh, Sherry and then Elizabeth. Okay, so <clears throat> this breaks down into, the, this particular poem breaks down into four units. The difference between chapter three and the rest of them is that not only do the, the beginning of each verse start with the with the for the Hebrew letter of the alphabet, the corresponding Hebrew letter of the alphabet, but also 
the beginning of all three stanzas of each verse. So um, you have like verse one through three, they all start with the same Hebrew letter. Uh, whereas the other ones, um, it's only the beginning of the whole verse. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so, um, <clears throat> so, uh, and this is kind of, in a literary sense, um, is a more uh, intense, and so it's quickening the anticipation of the climax. Mm -hmm. um, and so in verse so in verse one through twenty, you have first person singular male. And it's talking specifically about the 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 poet. So this is really way more personal. This is not us we're talking about, this is me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talks about all the things that he has personally gone through. Um, and all the things that Jehovah has done to him. Um, uh, so every statement combines the poet and Yahweh. So this is what I've gone through. Yahweh did this to me. Um, this is what I've gone through, and this is why Yahweh has done this to me, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so every single verse, uh, and there's like 40 um, instances of that in this whole thing. So, um, and that's just in verses 1 through 20. So then the next unit is the central unit to the entire book, which is verses 21-ish through verse 32. Um, I think that it's, it's, well, at the end of verse 21 um, through verse 32, um, therefore I have hope is the end of verse 21. Mm -hmm. um, the bookends are 22 and 32 because the steadfast of the love of the Lord is on both ends. In, mm -hmm. in, in verse 22, the steadfast, of the, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In verse 32, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and this is, like I said, this sort of the pinnacle of the entire book, um, mention, and so, which makes it the most important part. And so then we have unit eight, which is starting to go down the other side. Now, when we go, when we take the the um, the last six units, they correspond with the first six units, you know, in ascending and descending order. So number one and number thirteen, number two and number twelve, and so on. But in this half, there's a mitigation at the end. So there, there's more of a instead of just all this destruction, there's, this is why. Or uh, when we get even closer to the end, it's gonna be um, because, and, you know, hopefully God will bring these things about against my enemies as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's more hope offered in the last chapters than, than there is at the beginning. There's, there's a lot of similar language, but it's mitigated by um, the goodness of God um, uh, by his um, by his justice and and it's also or there would be a mention of because of my sins this is why this is happening um, uh, so that's unit eight um, it chiastically matches unit six and then unit nine chiastically matches unit uh, five and you have tons of parallels um, the slain without pity, enemies having opened their mouths wide, tears streaming, um, tears or streams of water, depending on which one you're reading, um, 
they don't rest or cease. And then you have the more positive note in unit nine um, and the poet crying out um, for righteousness, for the, the wrongs of my enemies to be vindicated. So like you have at the end, um, he talks about, um, uh, you will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Mm -hmm. He's talking about his enemies. Right. Okay. All right. Elizabeth, as quick as you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only yeah. other things that I wanted to bring out yeah. is that we've talked about this, like, recognition of guilt and, like, okay, what do you do about it? So I do think that mm -hmm. even though the end of this chapter is thematically a different unit, it still has just a little bit of hope in it that... Mm -hmm we can call to the Lord from the depths that he has listened to them, that he listened to their cry and is going to not only bring them up, but bring judgment upon their enemies, which we see at the end of Jeremiah. That's like the promise of these enemies being judged. And this is what they long for in Lamentations. So they recognize their guilt. They recognize that the Lord is good and that he still loves them, even though they've messed up really horribly and there still is this promise of like vindication on those that have um executed the lord's justice on them yeah and how that's not going to go unpunished okay we have approximately five six minutes so here's what we'll do as these last two chapters we won't have time to read through everything and comment so um let's um if it's all right with y'all we'll go through and pull out our notes on four and five and then we'll need to wrap it up just for time's sake so uh four was the one that stood out to me um in, in my read through is one that uh, i deeply appreciated mainly for the juxtaposing uh where you've got um those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who are brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. And just really, to me, painting such a vivid picture of not only was this a horrendous situation, but it was incredibly horrendous because you were blessed. You were a very healthy and beautiful, you know, the Virgin of, Do the Virgin of Zion. You know, you were just this beautiful thing. And now look at what you've become. And again, the to me, the most pitiable thing of it all, you've become this because you chose it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so that this chapter stood out to me for, mainly for those reasons I just appreciated. Um, I guess this analogy is what's used there, but um, the poetry there just really impressing upon the reader that it's not just somebody who's, you know, grown up in poverty. This is someone who... Put themselves below poverty for their own doing. Um, so that was that impressed me in, in my read through there. So Sherry, anything from your um, notes there? So chapter four um, breaks down into units 10, 11, and 12. Um, you have really striking similarities in the language used, talking about the starvation of children, start talking about the nurslings and their and their and their um, thirst, um, also talking about princes, young women, mothers, um, people dying in the streets again, um, and 
you have a, a talk about the stones being poured out that at the head of every street, and then, um, uh, and then at the end of the unit you have the mitigation, which is verse six, their sins. Mm -hmm. That's why they were right. in the position they were in. Uh, unit eleven starts in verse eleven, uh, goes through verse sixteen. It's all in third person mostly. It matches unit three, where it talks about God's anger, his wrath, uh, pouring out of his wrath. He devoured, there was fire. Uh, there's mention of the priests and religious leaders again. Um, and then um, the mitigating note uh, is in the center, so like a chiastic structure, uh, their sins. Mm -hmm. right. So surprise, surprise. So then unit 12, um, the, the central theme is failure of their former allies to support them. Mm -hmm. And um, and we had talked about that also in in the the second unit, right. um, and about how Judah appealed to their fickle allies for help, and that was a bad idea, uh, and they got what they deserved, which was nothing because their allies were not going to help them. Um, and then um, at the end, then you have the mitigation again. Yahweh is they're asking Yahweh for. Um, uh, Vengeance, basically, mm -hmm. for their enemies to be treated to the same things that they've been treated to. Okay. Elizabeth, I'm going to shoot uh, uh, over to Chapter 5, mm -hmm. unless you wanted to pull something out, but we're going to have to, we got three minutes left, so. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to say, like, super quick, mm -hmm. is just that there's a different juxtaposition that I picked up on mm -hmm. was between the way Jerusalem has fallen, this really slow, dragged-out siege, mm -hmm. versus it would be better if they were literally Sodom and Gomorrah, like, bam, gone in an instant. Mm -hmm. And that just makes the whole situation more heartbreaking, that they are getting a worse punishment than what is held up as, like, the most evil cities Absolutely. in history. Yeah. So it just yeah. makes it all the more heart-wrenching to read through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and again, the image that they use, you, you picture someone dying before your eyes, and that's horrific, but then you think of the example of someone starving to death, and that's so much worse. Um, okay, chapter five. Uh, Elizabeth, what have you got for that? Yeah, so um, this is... Um, I think Sherry might have already mentioned this is like a prayer mm -hmm. to God to restore their fortunes. And it really is continuing this theme of acknowledging their guilt, acknowledging their plight, and how they, they've lost everything. They're in, really, in a really desperate situation. It talks about just people dying, starving, all that, that their joy has been turned to mourning. Mm -hmm. Um but it still has that message of the hope hope at the end mm -hmm. that the Lord reigns forever and his throne endures. And even though they're forsaken now, they have hope that they're going to be restored as of old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, just on that note, the very last where he says, Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you've utterly rejected us. Um, I just appreciate that ending. Um, a little bit of hope there at the end. Um, okay, and our time is up. Sherry, thank you for all the structure commentary there. That's for the bonus kids who are in the AP class. You're welcome for that because I don't think Elizabeth or I could have pulled that out um, any day of the week. All right, thank you all. Appreciate it.